I'd like to welcome everybody to Check Your Show. This is season two. We're reading Catcher in the Rye. My name's Aaron. Some of y'all might know me by Gimme, but some of y'all might not know me at all. But I think it's really important that we know these books really intimately. So I'm going to have to ask you to go check your shelf. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What's up, all y'all beautiful young people? Glad to see you back for another episode of Check Your Shelf. Hope everybody had a, a great Memorial Day weekend. Hope you all were safe and continue to stay safe. Um, we're on episode, let's see, 14. Yeah, we're on episode 14 of Check Your Shelf. We're reading Catcher in the Rye right now. And uh, last episode, we really got to experience uh, another side of Holden that we hadn't really seen before. He, uh, he set up a date with a girl. I think her name was Sally Fields. It was Sally something. Um, he had breakfast with two nuns, uh, judged them harshly for their shitty suitcases, but then felt bad for them because they were only eating like beans and toast or some shit. So we got a little bit of money and material contradictions um, in Holden's life, but... We also got to see him kind of, you know, pick up his nutsack for 30 seconds to call Jane. Like, finally, he got he got the balls to call Jane until her mom answered, and then he bitched out and kind of hung up the phone. So, what are you going to do? <clears throat> we also got a really, uh, really good look at how strongly Holden is attached to, like, these feelings of nostalgia and how much he fears change and what the future holds and how much he just really wishes he could... Uh, lock all these moments in a box and just sit there with them like the museum that he decided to visit to try to find his sister yeah with all that being said man feel free to uh check out the facebook group facebook.com backslash groups backslash check your shelf uh you can also hit the discord i think the link is at the top right there uh, if you're watching on youtube if you're not you should be go ahead us up on youtube man uh you can also find everything link link tree backslash gimme doses uh, you can find everything there, including my photography and music videos that I've shot and things like that. So, yeah, let's get into this, man. Episode 14. Catch you in the ride, baby. We're starting at chapter 17. If you're reading along, if you're watching along on YouTube, we already got the PDF brought up for you. So that's another uh, little benefit you get of of watching the YouTube. Besides just looking at my beautiful face, you get to read along with us. But yeah, let's run into it, man. Chapter 17, baby, baby. <clears throat> Chapter 17 I was way early when I got there I think he's at Sally's <clears throat> Got a cab and went down to the Biltmore So yeah, I guess that's a I guess that's a movie theater, I'm pretty sure Chapter 17 I was way early when I got there So I just sat down on one of those Leather couches right near the clock In the lobby and watched the girls a lot of schools were home for vacation already, and there were about a million girls sitting and standing around, waiting for their dates to show up. Girls with their legs crossed, girls with their legs not crossed, girls with terrific legs, girls with lousy legs, girls that looked like swell girls, girls that looked like they'd be bitches if you knew them. It was really nice sightseeing, if you know what I mean. In a way, it was sort of depressing, too, because you kept wondering what the hell would happen to all of them. When they got out of school and college, I mean, you figured most of them would probably marry dopey guys. Guys that always talk about how many miles they get to a gallon in their goddamn cars. Guys that get sore and childish as hell if you beat them at golf. Or even just some stupid game like ping pong. Guys that are very mean. Guys that never read books. Guys that are very boring. But I have to be careful about that. I mean, about calling certain guys bores. I don't understand boring guys. I really don't. When I was at Elkton Hills, I roomed for about two months with this boy, Harris Mackham. He was very intelligent and all, but he was one of the biggest bores I had ever met. He had one of those very raspy voices and he never stopped talking practically. He never stopped talking and what was awful was he never said anything you wanted to hear in the first place. But he could do one thing. The son of a bitch could whistle better than anybody I ever heard. He'd be making his bed or hanging up stuff in the closet. He was always hanging up stuff in the closet. It drove me crazy. He'd be whistling while he did it, though. And if he wasn't talking in his raspy voice, that is. He could even whistle classical stuff, but most of the time he just whistled jazz. 
it could take something very jazzy like the Tin Roof Blues and whistle it so nice and easy right while he was hanging stuff up in the closet. And that would just kill you. Naturally, I never told him I thought he was a terrific whistler. I mean, you don't just go up to somebody and say, you're a terrific whistler. But I roomed with him for about two whole months, even though he bored me till I was half crazy. Just because he was such a terrific whistler. The best I ever heard. So I don't know about boars. Maybe you shouldn't feel too sorry if you see some swell girl getting married to them. They don't hurt anybody, most of them, and maybe they're secretly all terrific whistlers or something. Who the hell knows? Not me. Man, this kid's got some real... Almost like autism level obsessions with certain things, right? Like, my word. He started that whole paragraph off to be like, I don't understand why guys are boring, but then spent like most of the paragraph talking about him whistling, not about being boring. Strange, strange, strange boy. Finally, old Sally started coming up the stairs and I started down to meet her. She looked terrific, she really did. She had on this black coat and a sort of black beret. She hardly ever, she hardly, she hardly ever wore a hat, but that beret looked nice. The funny part is, I felt like marrying her the minute I saw her. I'm crazy. I didn't even like her much, and yet, all of a sudden, I felt like I was in love with her and wanted to marry her. I swear to God, I'm crazy, I admit it. Oh, we got another I admit it thing, so he, he can tell he doesn't feel good about this. Hold in, it's marvelous to see you, it's been ages. She had one of those very loud, embarrassing voices when you met her somewhere. She got away with it because she was so damn good looking, but it always gave me a pain in the ass. Swell to see you, I said. And I meant it too. How are you anyway? Absolutely marvelous. Am I late? I told her no, but she was around 10 minutes late as a matter of fact. I didn't give a damn though. All that crap they have in the cartoons and the Saturday evening post and all, showing guys on street corners looking sore as hell because their dates are late, that's bunk. If a girl looks swell when she meets you, who gives a damn if she's late? Nobody. We better hurry, I said. The show starts at 2.40. We started going down the stairs to where the taxis are. What are we going to see? She said. I don't know. The Lunts. It's, it's all I could get tickets for. The Lunts. Oh, marvelous. I told you she'd go mad when she heard it was for the Lunts. We horsed around a little bit in the cab on the way over to the theater. At first she didn't want to because she had her lipstick on and all, but I was being seductive as hell, and she didn't have any alternative. Twice, when the cab stopped, when the goddamn cab stopped short in traffic, I damn near fell off the seat. Those damn drivers never even look where they're going. I swear they don't. Then, just to show you how crazy I am, when we were coming out of this big clinch, I told her I loved her and all. It was a lie, of course, but the thing is, I meant it when I said it. I'm crazy. I swear to God I am. Oh, darling, I love you too. Then, right in the same damn breath, she said, Promise me you'll let your hair grow. Crew cuts are getting corny and your hair is so lovely. Lovely my ass. The show wasn't as bad as some that I'd seen. It was on the crappy side though. It was about 500,000 years in the life of this one old couple. It starts out when they're young and all, and the girl's parents don't want her to marry the boy, but she marries him anyway. And then they keep getting older and older, the husband goes to war, and the wife has this brother that's a drunkard. I don't know, I couldn't get very interested. I mean, I didn't care too much when anybody in the family died or anything. They were all just a bunch of actors. The husband and wife were a pretty nice old couple, very witty and all. Interesting, I don't know, the, so him telling her he loves her and all that and you know the feeling of him wanting to marry her is pretty clearly just the fact that he's so so rarely shown affection or attention um, on like a mutual scale that uh, he doesn't really know how to react when he's finally in its face. Um, so I think that's just his, like his flight or fight thing, but... Um, weird little two-sentence paragraph about how she wants her to grow him to grow his hair out but then he's like ah, lovely my ass anyway the show 
I don't know. Whatever. Interesting. The husband and wife are a pretty nice old couple, very witty and all, but I couldn't get too interested in them. For one thing, they kept drinking tea or some goddamn thing all through the play. Every time you saw them, some butler was shoving tea in front of them, or the wife was pouring it for somebody, and everybody kept coming in and going out all the time. You got dizzy watching people sit down and stand up. Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontaine were the old couple, and they were very good, but I didn't like them much. They were different though, I'll say that. They didn't act like people and they didn't act like actors. It's hard to explain. They acted more like they knew they were celebrities and all. I mean, they were good, but they were too good. When one of them got finished making a speech, the other one said something very fast right after it. It was supposed to be like people really talking and interrupting each other and all. The trouble was, it was too much like people talking, it was too, <laughs> that's funny. It was supposed to be like people really talking and interrupting each other and all. The trouble was, it was too much like people talking and interrupting each other. They acted a little bit the way old Ernie down in the village plays the piano. If you do something too good, then after a while, if you don't watch it, you start showing off. And then you're just not as good anymore, but... Anyway, they were the only ones in the show, the Lunts. Uh, they looked... They were the only ones in the show, the Lunts, I mean, that looked like they had any real brains, I have to admit it. At the end of the first act, we went out with all the other jerks for a cigarette. What a deal that was. You never saw so many phonies in your life. Got a phony counter, baby. Phony counter, baby. What's the phony counter, baby? Hey, hey. What's the phony counter, baby? Got a phony counter, baby. Hey, hey. Whoa. I just accidentally made a screen way too big. Let me let my cat in. Charlie, don't scratch at the door. Don't you know I'm recording? Very important stuff. Come on. I know. You can't stand being separated from me, huh? Sorry about that. <clears throat> and I'm likely going to leave it in because I don't have a ton of time to edit this. I got a big date tonight. Oh, now you're going to eat food, huh? You're just going to eat loud, dry food while I'm... All right, brilliant. At the end of the first act, we went out with all the other jerks for a cigarette. What a deal that was. You never saw so many phonies in all your life. Everybody smoking their ears off and talking about the play so that everybody could hear and know how sharp they were. Some dopey movie actor was standing near us having a cigarette. I don't know his name, but he always plays the part of a guy in a war movie that gets yellow before it's time to go over the top. He was with some sort of gorgeous blonde and the two of them were trying to be very blasé and all, like as if he didn't know people were looking at him. Modest as hell, I got a big bang out of it. Old Sally didn't talk much except to rave about the Lunts. See, I was wondering if he was going to ever actually get to her or if he was just going to talk about how much he hated everything the whole time. Old Sally didn't talk much, <coughs> excuse me. Old Sally didn't talk much except to rave about the Lunts because I knew she was busy rubbering and being charming. Then all of a sudden she saw some jerk she knew on the other side of the lobby. Some guy in one of those very dark gray flannel suits one of those checkered vests strictly ivy league big deal he was standing next to the wall smoking himself to death and looking bored as hell old sally kept saying i know that i know that boy from somewhere she always knew somebody any place you took her or thought she did she kept saying that till i got bored as hell and i said to her well, why don't you go on over and give him a big soul kiss if you know him he'll enjoy it she got sore when i said that well yeah why the fuck wouldn't she jesus Finally though, the jerk noticed her and came over and said hello. You should have seen the way they said hello. You'd have thought they hadn't seen each other in 20 years. You'd have thought they'd have taken baths in the same bathtub or something when they were little kids. Old buddy ruse. It was nauseating. The funny part was, they probably met each other just once at some phony party. my god man the dogs will not shut the fuck up man and i can't leave my door shut because then my cat like my cat where literally my cat came in scratched the door came in ate three pieces of food just to be loud as fuck and then dipped you wanted three pieces of kibble you wanted three pieces that's all you wanted three bites
I swear to God, bro. We added another one to the phony counter. Talking about these jerks. Old Buddy Ruse. It was nauseating. The funny part was, they probably met each other just once at some phony party. Finally, when they were all done slobbering around, old Sally introduced us. His name was George something, I don't even remember. And he went to Andover. Big, big deal. You should have seen him when old Sally asked him how he liked the play. He was kind of a phony that... He was the kind of a phony that... And what the fuck? He was the kind of a phony that have to give themselves room when they answer somebody's question. What a weird, what a weird sentence. I didn't like it. Took me too long to read. Four out of ten would not recommend. He was the kind of a phony that have to give themselves room when they have to answer somebody's question. He stepped back and stepped right on the lady's foot behind him. He probably broke every toe in her body. He said the play itself was no masterpiece, but that the Lunts, of course, were absolute angels. Angels? For Christ's sake, angels. That killed me. Then, he and old Sally started talking about a lot of people they both knew. It was the phoniest conversation you ever heard in your life. They both kept thinking of places as fast as they could. Then they'd think of somebody that lived there and mention their name. Yeah, I agree. That is pretty fucking phony. I'm not going to lie to you, man. So I think we're at 27. I wonder if I missed one. Because I feel like there was like four in here or three. Uh, let's see. Let's see. No, let's not see. Because we're not going to edit a lot of this. So we're not going to see. If, if I did fuck it up, I'll notice when I, um, when I edit the shit. So it'll be fixed. I promise. Uh, yeah, that is very phony, though. They both kept thinking of places as fast as they could and then tried to think of somebody that lived there just to mention their name. Like, that's the 1950s version of name-dropping on TV type shit. Oh, I did work with, uh... I did work with Dr. Dre, actually. Yeah, that's interesting. But, um... But, um... I was all set to puke when it was time to go sit down again. I really was. And then, when the next act was over, they continued their goddamn boring conversation. They kept thinking of more places and more names of people that lived there. The worst part was, the jerk had one of those very phony Ivy League voices. One of those very tired, snobby voices. He sounded just like a girl. He didn't hesitate to horn in on my date, the bastard. I even thought for a minute he was going to get in the goddamn cab with us when the show was over because he walked about two blocks with us, but he had to meet a bunch of phonies for cocktails, he said. I could see them all sitting around in some bar with their goddamn checkered vests criticizing shows and books and women in those tired, snobby voices. They kill me, those guys. We've got a huge, like, five or six piece in that fucking paragraph right there of phonies, man. We're at 29 on the phony counter now. It's crazy. I sort of hated old Sally by the time we got into the cab after listening to that phony Andover bastard for about 10 hours. Alright, we just got the big 30 bomb, y'all. We just got that big 30, 30, phony, 30 phony bomb. Uh, after listening to that phony Andover bastard for about 10 hours, I was all set to take her home and all. I really was, but she said, I have a marvelous idea. She was always having a marvelous idea. Listen. What time do you have to be home for dinner? I mean, are you in a terrible hurry or anything? Do you have to be home any special time? Me? No. No special time. Truer word was never spoken. Truer word was never spoken, boy. Why? Let's go ice skating at Radio City. That's the kind of idea she always had. Oh boy, fuck me, dude. So fucking annoying, dude. I swear to God, it could be a fucking bird. It could be literally just a car driving on the main fucking road. Like it's, I don't understand. Like it's, it's, they're the most neurotic fucking anxiety-ridden dogs. It's the, it's the, it's the worst because every time that shit goes off, I'm like, who the fuck's robbing the house? Who the fuck's walking up my porch about to knock on my fucking door? Like it, my heart rate's through the roof when they fucking do that shit. It bothers me so much, man. Ice skating at Radio City, you mean right now? Just for an hour or so, don't you want to? If you don't want to, 
Well, I didn't, I didn't say I didn't want to. Sure, if you, if you want to. Do you mean it? Don't just say it if you don't mean it. I mean, I don't give a darn one way or the other. Not much, she didn't. You can rent those little darling little skating skirts. So Jeanette Colt did it last week. That's why she was so hot to go. She wanted to see herself in one of those little skirts that just come down over their butt and all. So we went, and after they gave us our skates, they gave Sally this little blue butt twitcher of a dress to wear. She really did look damn good in it though, I have to admit it. And I don't think she didn't know it. She kept walking ahead of me so that I could see how cute her little ass looked. It did look pretty cute too, I have to admit it. So maybe now, I'm not sure if he feels guilty about this, but he, he, he did say it twice in the same paragraph, so now I'm wondering if the admit it thing, we just got lucky 12 times in a row. The funny part was though, we were the worst skaters on the whole goddamn rink. I mean the worst. And there were some Lulus too. Old Sally's ankles kept bending in until they were practically on the ice. They not only looked stupid as hell, but they probably hurt like hell too. I know mine did, mine were killing me. We must have looked gorgeous. And what made it worse? There were at least a couple of hundred rubbernecks that didn't have anything better to do than stand around and watch everybody falling all over themselves. Do you want to get a table inside and have a drink or something? I said to her finally. That's the most marvelous idea you've had all day. She was killing herself. It was brutal. I really felt sorry for her. We took off our goddamn skates and went inside this bar where you can get drinks and watch the skaters and just your stocking feet. As soon as we sat down, old Sally took off her gloves and I gave her a cigarette. She wasn't looking too happy. The waiter came up and I ordered a Coke for her. She didn't drink. And a scotch and soda for myself, but the son of a bitch wouldn't bring me one. So I had a Coke too. Then I sort of started lighting matches. I do that quite a lot when I'm in a certain mood. I sort of let them burn down until I can't hold them anymore. And then I drop them in the ashtray. It's a nervous habit. Then, all of a sudden, out of a clear blue sky, old Sally said, Look, I have to know. Are you or aren't you coming over to help me trim the Christmas tree Christmas Eve? I have to know. It was still, I, she was still being snotty on account of her ankles when she was skating. I wrote you I would. You've asked me that about 20 times. Sure I am. I mean, I have to know. She started looking all around the goddamn room. All of a sudden, I quit lighting matches and sort of leaned nearer to her over the table. I had quite a few topics on my mind. Hey Sally, I said. What? She was looking at some girl on the other side of the room. Did you ever get fed up? I mean, did you ever get scared that everything was going to go lousy unless you did something? I mean, do you like school and all that stuff? It's a terrific bore. I mean, do you hate it? I know it's a terrific bore, but do you hate it, is what I mean. <sighs> Big sneeze energy, baby. Well, I don't exactly hate it. You always have to- well, I hate it. Boy, do I hate it. But it isn't just that, it's everything. I hate living in New York and all. Taxi cabs, Madison Avenue buses with the drivers and all yelling at you to get out of the rear door and being introduced to phony guys that call the Lunts angels and going up and down in elevators when you just want to go outside and guys fitting your pants all the time at Brooks and people- Don't shout, please. Yeah. This is a really good way to ruin, you know, one of the only meaningful exchanges you've had with a human. Way to go, Holden. Don't shout, please, which was very funny because I wasn't even shouting. Take cars. Take cars, I said. I said in this very quiet voice. Take most people. They're crazy about cars. They worry if they get a little scratch on them, and they're always talking about how many miles they get to a gallon. And if they get a brand new car already, they don't start... And if they get a brand new car already, they start thinking about trading it in for one that's even newer. I don't even like old cars. I mean, they don't even interest me. I'd rather have a goddamn horse. A horse is at least human for God's sake. A horse you can at least... I don't even know what you're talking about. You jump from one... You know something? 
You're probably the only reason I'm in New York right now or anywhere. If you weren't around, I'd probably be someplace way the hell off, in the woods or some goddamn place. You're the only reason I'm around practically. You're sweet. She said that, but I could tell, you could tell she wanted me to change the subject. You ought to go to a boys school sometime. Try it sometime. It's full of phonies, and all you can do is study so that you can learn enough to be smart enough to be able to buy a goddamn Cadillac someday. And you have to keep making believe you give a damn if the football team loses, and all you do is talk about girls and liquor and sex all day, and if everybody sticks to get and everybody sticks together in these dirty little goddamn cliques. The guys that are on the basketball team stick together, the Catholics stick together, the goddamn intellectuals stick together, the guys that play bridge stick together, even the guys that belong to the goddamn book of the month club stick together. If you try to have a little intelligence now, listen, lots of boys get more out of school than that. You got a phony counter. I hope it wasn't two. But when you be going off on those rants, I don't want to just stop to fucking add a fucking Got it. Okay, let's get back into it. No, man, we gotta keep that immersion thick. Now listen, a lot of boys get more out of school than that. I agree. I agree, they do. Some of them, but that's all I get out of it. See, that's my point. That's exactly my goddamn point. I don't get hardly anything out of anything. I'm in bad shape. I'm in lousy shape. You certainly are. Then, all of a sudden, I got this idea. Look, here's my idea. How would you like to get the hell out of here? Here's my idea. I know this guy down in Greenwich Village. We can borrow his car for a couple weeks. He used to go to the same school I did, and he still owes me 10 bucks. What we could do is, tomorrow morning, we could drive up to Massachusetts and Vermont and all around there, see? It's beautiful as hell up there. It really is. I was getting excited as, I was getting excited as hell the more I thought of it. And I sort of reached over and took Sally's goddamn hand. What a goddamn fool I was. No kidding. I have about 180 bucks in the bank. I can take it out when it opens. Oop, excuse me. I can take it out when it opens in the morning and then I could go down and get this guy's car. No kidding. We'll stay in those cabin camps and stuff like that till the dough runs out. Then when the dough runs out, I could get a job somewhere and we could live somewhere with a brook and all. And later on, we could get married or something. I could chop all our own wood in the wintertime and all. Honest to God, we could have a terrific time. What do you say? Come on, what do you say? Will you do it with me, please? Jesus, holding my God, my boy. Calm down. You can't just do something like that, old Sally said. She sounded sore as hell. Why not? Why the hell not? Stop screaming at me, please. Which was crap, because I wasn't even screaming at her. Why can't you? Why not? Because you can't, that's all. You know, this is gonna be, this is fun. I meant to, I meant to bring this up at the beginning of the episode, but I forgot. It's fun, I've been, I've been starting to do this thing that's really f making this book fun to, for a lot more fun for me. I'm reading this as though Holden is Patrick Bateman from American Psycho only as a 17 year old so this is how this is how we if you if you know in my brain I'm picturing Holden to grow up to be Patrick Bateman so like it's funny to see all the parallels of things that like Patrick would be doing and stuff um, and this is one of them um, why can't you why not because you can't that's all in the first place, we're both practically children. And did you ever stop to think what you'd do if you didn't get a job when your money ran out? We'd starve to death. The whole thing's so fantastic. It isn't even, it isn't fantastic. I'd get a job. Don't worry about that. You don't have to worry about that. What's the matter? Don't you want to go with me? Just say so if you don't. It isn't that, it isn't that at all. I was beginning to hate her in a way. We'll have oodles of time to do those things, all those things. I mean, after you go to college and all, and if we should get married and all, there'll be oodles of places to go. You're just, no, there wouldn't be. There wouldn't be oodles of places to go at all. It'd be entirely different. I was getting depressed as hell again. What? 
I can't hear you. One minute you scream at me and the next I said no. There wouldn't be marvelous places to go after I went to college and all. Open your ears. It'd be entirely different. We'd have to go downstairs in elevators with suitcases and stuff. We'd have to phone up everybody and tell them goodbye and send them postcards from hotels and all. And I'd be working in some office, making lots of dough and riding to work in cabs and Madison Avenue buses and reading newspapers and playing bridge all the time and going to the movies and seeing a lot of stupid shorts and coming attractions and newsreels. Newsreels, Christ almighty, there's always a dumb horse race and some dame breaking over a bot breaking a bottle over a ship and some chimpanzee riding a goddamn bicycle with pants on. It wouldn't be the same at all. You don't see what I mean at all? Maybe I don't. Maybe you don't either. We both hated each other's guts by that time. You could see there wasn't any sense trying to have an intelligent conversation. I was sorry as hell I'd started it. Come on, let's get out of here. You give me a royal pain in the ass if you want to know the truth. Boy, did she hit the ceiling when I said that. I know I shouldn't have said it, and I probably wouldn't have ordinarily, but she was depressing the hell out of me. I usually never say crude things like that to girls. Boy, did she hit the ceiling. I apologized like a madman, but she wouldn't accept my apology. She was even crying, which scared me a little bit because I was a little afraid she'd go home and tell her father I called her a pain in the ass. Her father was one of those big silent bastards and he wasn't too crazy about me anyhow. He once told old Sally I was too goddamn noisy. No kidding, I'm sorry, I kept telling her. You're sorry, you're sorry, that's very funny. She was still sort of crying and all of a sudden I did feel sort of sorry I said it. Come on, I'll take you home, no kidding. I can go home by myself, thank you. If you think I'd let you take me home, you're mad. No boy ever said that to me in my entire life. The whole thing was sort of funny in a way if you thought about it. And all of a sudden, I did something I shouldn't have. I laughed. And I have one of those very loud, stupid laughs. I mean, if I ever sat behind myself in a movie or something, I'd probably lean over and tell myself to please shut up. And that made old Sally madder than ever. I stuck around for a while, apologizing and trying to get her to excuse me, but she wouldn't. She kept telling me to go away and leave her alone, so finally I did it. I went inside and got my shoes and stuff and left without her. I shouldn't have, but I was pretty goddamn fed up by that time. If you want to know the truth, I didn't even know why I started all that stuff with her. I mean about going away somewhere to Massachusetts and Vermont and all. I probably wouldn't have taken her even if she wanted to go with me. She wouldn't have been anybody to go with. The terrible part though is that I meant it when I asked her. That's the terrible part. I swear to God I'm a madman. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. So we're seeing a little bit of hypermania coming out of this kid, right? Like, that's definitely, definitely manic behavior. Poor guy. That's crazy, man. A lot of undiagnosed mental illness in the 50s, I'm guessing, you know? Poor kid. Chapter 18. When I left the skating rink, I sort of felt hungry, so I went in this drug I went in this drug store and had a Swiss cheese sandwich and a malted. Then I went in a phone booth. I thought maybe I might give old Jane another buzz and see if she was home yet. I mean, I had the whole evening free, and I thought I'd give her a buzz, and if she was home yet, take her dancing or something somewhere. I never danced with her or anything the whole time I knew her. I saw her dancing once, though. I saw her dancing once, though. She looked like a very good dancer. It was at this 4th of July dance at the club. I didn't know her too well then, and I didn't think I ought to cut in on her date. She was dating this terrible guy, Al Pike, that went to Choate. I didn't know him too well, but he was always hanging around the swimming pool. He wore those white Lastex kind of swimming trunks, and he was always going off the high dive. <clears throat> he did the same lousy old half gainer all day long. It was the only dive he could do, but he thought he was very hot stuff. All muscle and no brains. Anyway, that's who Jane dated that night. I couldn't understand it. I swear I couldn't. After we started going around together, I asked her how come she could date a show-off bastard like Al Pike. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Jane said he wasn't a show-off. She said he had an inferiority complex. She acted like she felt sorry for him or something, and she wasn't just putting it on, she meant it. It's a funny thing about girls. Every time you mention some guy that's strictly a bastard, very mean or very conceited and all, and when you mention it to the girl, she'll tell you he has an inferiority complex. That's something else I've noticed that Holden does a lot. So he'll, he'll have one experience with one person one time, and he'll attribute that to like a lot, like a large umbrella like group, like in this case, it's like girls or whatever. It's a funny thing about girls. When you mention a guy that's strictly a bastard, she'll tell you he has an inferiority complex. That happened one time to Holden with Jane, and that's it. And now he's like, that's a funny thing about girls. That's just how girls are. Like, it's, it's, it really is fun to kind of, it's, these little things are fun to kind of keep you in the, in the mindset that Holden is just a 17-year-old douche. Well, maybe he has, but that still doesn't keep him from being a bastard, in my opinion. <laughs> girls. You never know what they're going to think. I once got this girl, Roberta Walsh's roommate, a date with a friend of mine. His name was Bob Robinson, and he really had an inferiority complex. You could tell, you could tell he was very ashamed of his parents and all, because they said he don't and she don't, and stuff like that, and they weren't very wealthy. So that's like a southern thing, I guess, because he don't and she don't sounds normal as fuck to me. But he wasn't a bastard or anything, he was a very nice guy. But this Roberta Walsh's roommate didn't like him at all. She told Roberta that he was too conceited. And the reason she thought he was conceited was because he happened to mention to her that he was the captain of the debate team. A little thing like that and she thought he was conceited. The trouble with, girl is, the trouble with girls is, if they like a boy, no matter how big a bastard he is, they'll say he has an inferiority complex. And if they don't like him, no matter how nice a guy he is, or how big an inferiority complex he has, they'll say he's conceited. Even smart girls do it. Anyway, I gave old Jane a buzz again, but her phone didn't answer, so I had to hang up. Then I had to look through my address book to see who the hell might be available for the evening. The trouble was, though, my address book only has about three people in it. Jane, and this man, Mr. Antolini, that was my teacher at Elkton Hills, and my father's office number. I keep forgetting to put people's names in, so what I did finally, I gave old Carl Lucha, Lucha but Lucy, Lucha, Luch. I gave old Carl Lucha buzz. He graduated, he graduated from the Wooten school after I left. He was about three years older than I was and I didn't like him too much. He was one of those very intellectual guys. He had the highest IQ of any boy at Wooten. And I thought he might want to have dinner with me somewhere and have a slightly intellectual conversation. He was very enlightening sometimes, so I gave him a buzz. He went to Columbia now, but he lived on 65th Street and all, and I knew he'd be home. When I got him on the phone, he said he couldn't make it for dinner, but that he'd meet me for a drink at 10 o'clock at the Wicker Bar on 54th. I think he was pretty surprised to hear from me. I once called him a fat-assed phony. Another one. This might be the most phony riddled episode we've had yet. I had quite a bit of time to kill at 10 o'clock, so what I did, I went to the movies at Radio City. It was probably the worst thing I could have done, but it was near and I couldn't think of anything else. I came in when the goddamn stage show was on. The Rockettes were kicking their heads off. The way they do when they're all in line with their arms around each other's waist. The audience applauded like mad, and some guy behind me kept saying to his wife, You know what that is? That's precision. He killed me. Then, after the Rockettes, a guy came out in a tuxedo and roller skates on. and started skating under a bunch of little tables and telling jokes while he did it. He was a very good skater and all, but I couldn't enjoy it much because I kept picturing, picturing him practicing to be a guy that roller skates on the stage. It seemed so stupid. I guess I wasn't in the right mood. And then after him, they had this Christmas thing they have at Radio City every year. All these angels start coming out of boxes and everywhere, guys carrying crucifixes, stuff all over the place, and the whole bunch of them, thousands of them, singing Come All Ye Faithful like mad. Big deal. It's supposed to be religious as hell. I know, and very pretty and all, and 
I just can't see anything religious or pretty for God's sake about a bunch of actors carrying crucifixes all over the stage. When they were all finished and started going out of the boxes again, you could tell, you could tell they could hardly wait to get a cigarette or something. I saw it with old Sally Hayes the year before, and she kept saying how beautiful it was, the costumes and all. I said old Jesus probably would have puked if you could see it, all those fancy costumes and all. Sally said I was a sacrilegious atheist. I probably am. The thing Jesus really would have liked would to be the guy that plays the kettle drums in the orchestra. I would have watched that. I've watched that guy since I was about eight years old. My brother and Allie and I, if we were with our parents and all, we used to move our seats so we could go way down so we could watch him. He's the best drummer I ever saw. He only gets a chance to bang them a couple of times during the whole, during the whole piece, but he never looks bored when he isn't doing it. Then when he does bang them, he does it so nice and sweet with this nervous expression on his face. One time, when we went to Washington with my father, Allie sent him a postcard, but I'll bet he never got it. We weren't too sure how to address it. After the Christmas thing was over, the goddamn picture started. It was so putrid I couldn't take my eyes off of it. It was about this English guy, Alec something, that was in the war and he loses his memory in the hospital and all. He comes out of the hospital carrying a cane, limping all over the place, all over London, not knowing who the hell he is. He's really a duke, but he doesn't know it. And then he meets this nice, homey, sincere girl getting on a bus. Her goddamn hat blows off and he catches it. Then they go upstairs and sit down and start talking about Charles Dickens. And he's both their favorite author and all. He's carrying this copy of Oliver Twist and so is she. I could have puked. Anyway. They fell in love right away on account of they're both so nuts about Charles Dickens and all. And he helps her run her publishing business. She's a publisher, the girl. Only she's not doing so hot because her brother's a drunkard and he spends all their dough. He's a very bitter guy, the brother, because he was a doctor in the war and now he can't operate anymore because his nerves are shot, so he boozes all the time. But he's pretty witty and all. Anyway, old Alec writes a book and this girl publishes it, publishes it, and they both make a hat full of dough on it. So they're all set to get married when this other girl, old Marsha, shows up. Marsha was Alec's fiance before he lost the memory, and she recognizes him when he's in the store autographing books. She tells old Alec he's really a duke and all, but he doesn't believe her and doesn't want to go with her to visit his mother and all. His mother's blind as a bat, but the other girl, the homie one, makes him go. She's very noble and all, so he goes. But he still doesn't get his memory back, even when he's this, even when this, even when his great Dane jumps all over him, and his mother sticks her fingers all over his face and brings him his teddy bear he used to slobber around with when he was a kid. But then one day, some kids are playing cricket on the lawn, and he gets smacked in the head with a cricket ball. Then right away, he gets his goddamn memory back. He goes in, kisses his mother on the forehead and all, and then he just starts being a regular duke again. He forgets all about the whole, the, I keep wanting to say horny, the homie babe that has the publishing business. I'd tell you the rest of the story, but I might puke if I did. It isn't that I'd spoil it, it isn't that I'd spoil it for you or anything, there isn't anything to spoil for Christ's sake. Anyway, it ends up with Alec and the homie babe getting married, and the brother that's a drunkard gets his nerves back and operates on Alec's mother so she can see again. And then the drunken... So he just said he's not going to spoil anything and then, and then he's going to tell it. Uh, I, I'd tell you the rest, but I might puke. And uh, I don't want to spoil it, but there's nothing to spoil. So anyway, I'm going to spoil it. Uh, it ends up with Alec and the babe and the homie babe getting married. And the brother that's a drunkard gets his nerves back and operates on Alec's mother so she can see again. And then the drunken brother and old Marsha go for each other. It ends up with everybody at this long dinner table laughing their asses off because the Great Dane comes in with a bunch of puppies. Everybody thought it was a male, I suppose, or some goddamn thing. All I can say is, don't see it if you don't want to puke all over yourself. The part that got me was there's this lady sitting next to me that cried all through the goddamn picture. The phonier it got, the more she cried. You'd have thought she did it. You would have thought she did it because she was kind-hearted as, kind as hell 
but I was sitting right next to her and she wasn't. She had this little kid with her that was bored as hell and had to go to the bathroom, but she wouldn't take him. She kept telling, she kept telling him to sit still and behave himself. That was about as kind-hearted as a goddamn wolf. You can take somebody that cries their goddamn eyes out over phony stuff in the movies, and nine times out of ten, they're mean bastards at heart. I'm not kidding. Thirty-five phonies, man. <clears throat> I think we were at twenty-five or twenty-seven or something when we started today, too. A lot. A lot, lot. After the movie was over, I started walking down to the wicker bar where I was supposed to meet old Carl Luch. And while I walked, I sort of thought about war and all. Those war movies always do that to me. I don't think I could stand it if I had to go to war. I really couldn't. It wouldn't be too bad if they'd just take you out and shoot you or something, but you have to stay in the army so goddamn long. That's the whole trouble. My brother DB was in the army for four goddamn years. He was in the war too. He landed on D-Day and all. But I really think he hated the army worse than the war. I was practically a child at the time, but I remember when he used to come home on furlough and all, and all he did was lie on his bed practically. He hardly even ever came in the living room. Later, when he went overseas and was in the war and all, he didn't get wounded or anything, and he didn't have to shoot anybody. All he had to do was drive some cowboy general around all day in a command car. He once told Ali and I that he didn't have that he once told Ali and I that if he'd had to shoot anybody, he wouldn't have known which direction to shoot in. He said the army was practically as full of bastards as the Nazis were. I remember Ali once asked him, wasn't it sort of good that he was in the war because you were a writer and it gave you a lot to write about and all. He made Ali go get his baseball mitt. And then he asked him, who was the best war poet? Rupert Brooke or Emily Dickinson? Allie said Emily Dickinson. I didn't know too much about it myself because I don't read much poetry, but I do know it'd drive me crazy if I had to be in the army and be with a bunch of guys like Ackley and Stradlater and old Maurice all the time, marching with them and all. I was in the Boy Scouts once for about a week and I couldn't even stand looking at the back of the guy's neck in front of me. They kept telling you, look at the back of the guy's neck in front of you. I swear, if there's ever another war, they better just take me out and stick me in front of a firing squad. I wouldn't object. What gets me about DB, though? He hated the war so much, and yet he got me to read this book. A Farewell to Arms. He got me to read it last summer. He said it was so terrific, that's what I can't understand. It had this guy in it named Lieutenant Henry that was supposed to be a nice guy and all. I don't see how DB could hate the army and war and all so much and still be a phony like that. Wait, I don't see how DB could hate the army and war and all so much and still like a phony like that. <clears throat> I mean, for instance, I don't see how he could like a phony book like that and still like the one, still like that one by Ring Lardner or that other one he's so crazy about, The Great Gatsby. We got two little phonies real quick, and then we got a nice slick little reference to The Great Gatsby, huh? Maybe that's foreshadowing into what season three is gonna be. We'll just have to read Great Gatsby now. I don't know. DB got sore when I said that, and when I and said I was too young and all to appreciate it, but I don't think so. I told him I liked The Ring Lardner and The Great Gatsby and all. I did too, I was sort of crazy about The Great Gatsby. Old Gatsby, old sport. That killed me. Anyway, I'm sort of glad they got the atomic bomb invented. If there's ever another, if there's another, ribbity, 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 baby. If there's ever another war, I'm gonna sit right the hell on top of it. I'll volunteer for it. I swear to God, I will. <clears throat> fun, fun, fun stuff right there. Um. <sighs> I'm trying to figure out why he keeps going back to movies and shows if he's just gonna complain and bitch about everything there. I mean, it's like, it kind of seems like he's um, like hella self-destructive, right? Doing all this shit to himself. Let's see how long chapter 19 is. I don't want to... Mostly, mostly dialogue, so I think we can zoom through it try to get through chapter 19 before I get the hell up on out of here.
Chapter 19. In case you don't live in New York, the Wicker Bar is in this sort of swanky hotel, the Seton Hotel. I used to go there quite a lot, but I don't anymore. I gradually cut it out. It's one of those places that are supposed to be very sophisticated and all, and the phonies are coming out, are, and the phonies are coming in the window. What? It's one of those places that are supposed to be very sophisticated and all, and the phonies are coming in the window. Does that, does that mean something that I am unaware of? Does that mean like they're secretly coming in? I'm not really sure what that means. Um, they used to have these two French babes, Tina and Janine, come out and play the piano and sing about three times every night. One of them played the piano, strictly lousy, and the other one sang. And most of the songs were either pretty dirty or in French. The one that sang, old Janine, was always whispering into the goddamn microphone before she sang. She'd say, And now we'd like to give you we, and now we'd like to give you our impression of voulez-vous français. It is the story of a little French girl who comes to a big city like New York and falls in love with a little boy from Brooklyn. We hope you like it. Then, when she was all done whispering and being cute as hell, she'd sing some dopey song, half in English and half in French, and drive all the phonies mad. Drive all the phonies in the place mad with joy. Okay, so... I'm just running back because I got so focused on the fucking accent that I might have missed a phony. So we got one here and another one coming up. So I'm just going to go ahead and add two so I can read the rest of this fucking damn. We're at the big 40 piece, man. Holden's really dropping the, the F-bombs, the PH-bombs, if you will. If you sat around there long enough... Okay, yeah, sorry. Half in English, half in French, and drive all the phonies in the place mad with joy. If you sat around there long enough and heard all the phonies applauding and all, you got to hate everybody in the world. I swear you did. The bartender was a louse too. He was a big snob. He didn't talk to you at all, hardly, unless you were a big shot or a celebrity or something. If you were a big shot or celebrity or something, then he was even more nauseating. He'd go up to you and say, with his big charming smile, like he was a hell of a swell guy, Well, how's Connecticut? Or how's Florida? It was a terrible place. I'm not kidding. I cut out going there entirely, gradually. It was pretty early when I got there. I sat down at the bar, it was pretty crowded, and I had a couple scotch and sodas before old Luch even showed up. I stood up when I ordered them so they could see how tall I was and all and not think I was a goddamn minor. Then I watched the phonies for a while. Some guy next to me was snowing hell was some guy next to me was snowing hell out of the babe he was with. I don't know what that means either. Snowing hell out of the babe he was with. He kept telling her she had aristocratic hands. I almost missed a phony, I think. Yep. Almost missed one. He kept telling her she had aristocratic hands. And that killed me. The other end of the bar was full of flits. They weren't too flitty looking. I mean, they didn't have their hair too long or anything. But you could tell they were flits anyway. Finally, old Luch showed up. Well, I think that I think that deserves a goog. I think we're not gonna have to give that one a quick goog. So flit, flit meaning first of all, it moves small birds. What does flit mean in slang? Oh, a male homosexual. Interesting. I thought it was just like kind of a floozy, like a chick that was a little bit uh, a chick that was a little bit um, um, what do you call it? Fucking um. Uh, promiscuous, a little bit too promiscuous, you know? Um, and then what was the other one? I, there was another one I wanted to look up. Snowing the hell out. Snowing the hell out of me. This Google, this Goog is brought to you by Google, the company that has been... Ah, fuck it. I was going to try to make a joke, but I can't type as I... Ah, I forgot what I was supposed to be typing. Snowing the hell out of me. It means to overwhelm with insincere talk, especially with flattery. Okay. Thanks for clearing that up, Google. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to clear up all the ignorance in today's world. My man. My man, Goog. Finally, old Looch showed up. Old Looch. What a guy. He was, supposed to be my, he was supposed to be my student advisor when I was at Wooten. The only thing he ever did, though, was give these sex talks and all late at night when there was a bunch of guys in his room 
He knew quite a bit about sex, especially perverts and all. He was always telling us about a lot of creepy guys that go around having affairs with sheep and guys that go around with girls' pants sewed in the lining of their hats and all, and flits and lesbians. Old Luch knew who every flit and lesbian was in the United States. All you had to do was mention somebody, anybody, and old Luch would, old Luch would tell you if, there was a, if they were a flit or not. And sometimes it was hard to believe. The people he said were flits and lesbians and all, movie actors and things like that. Some of the ones he said were flits were even married for God's sake. You'd keep saying to him, you mean Joe Blow's a flit? Joe Blow, that big tough guy that plays gangsters and cowboys all the time? And old Luch would say, certainly. He was always saying, certainly. He said it didn't even matter if a guy was married or not. He said half the married guys in the world were flits and didn't even know it. He said you could turn into one practically overnight if you had the traits and all. He used to scare the hell out of us. He used to, he used to scare the hell out of us. I kept waiting to turn into a flit or something. The funny thing about old Luch, I used to think he was sort of flitty himself in a way. Interesting, interesting point. Interesting point, Holden. People tend to be mirrors and project things onto other people because they're, they're dealing with it themselves. Interesting. Nice. Good eye. He was always saying, try this for size, and then he'd goose the hell out of you while you were going down the corridor. And whenever he went to the can, he always left the goddamn door open and talked to you while you were brushing your teeth or something. That stuff is sort of flitty. It really is. I've known quite a few real flits at school and all, and they're always doing stuff like that. That's why I always had my doubts about old Luch. He was a pretty intelligent guy, though. He really was. He never said hello or anything when he met you. The first thing he said when he sat down was that he could only stay a couple minutes, that he had a date. Then he ordered a dry martini, told the bartender to make it very dry and no olive. Hey, I got a flit for you, I told him, at the end of the bar. Don't look now, I've been saving him for you. <laughs> very funny. Same old Caulfield. When are you going to grow up? <laughs> I bored him a lot. I really did. He amused me, though. He was one of those guys that sort of amused me a lot. How's your sex life? I asked him. He hated you asking him stuff like that. Relax. Just sit back and relax, for Christ's sake. I'm relaxed. How's Columbia? You like it? Certainly I like it. If I didn't like it, I wouldn't have gone there. He could be pretty boring himself sometimes. What are you majoring in? Perverts? I was only horsing around. What are you trying to be, funny? No, I'm only kidding. Listen, hey Luch, you're one of those intellectual guys. I need your advice. I'm in a terrific... Ugh. Listen, Caulfield, if you want to sit here and have a quiet, peaceful drink and a, and a quiet, peaceful conversation... All right, all right, all right, relax. You could tell he didn't feel like discussing anything serious with me. That's the trouble with those intellectual guys. They never want to discuss anything serious unless they feel like it. So, all I did was I started, I started discussing topics in general with them. No kidding, how's your sex life? You still going around with that same babe you used to at Wooten? The one with the terrific good God, no. How come? What happened to her? I haven't the faintest idea. For all I know, since you ask, she's probably the whore of New Hampshire by this time. That isn't nice. If she was decent enough to let you get sexy with her all the time, you, you at least shouldn't talk about her that way. Oh God, is this going to be a typical Caulfield conversation? I want to know right now. No, but it isn't nice anyway. If she was decent and nice enough to let you must, we pursue this horrible trend of thought. I didn't say anything. I was sort of afraid he'd get up and leave on me if I didn't shut up. So all I did was I ordered another, I ordered another drink. I felt like getting stinking drunk. Who are you going around with now? You feel like telling me? Nobody you'd know. Yeah, but who? I might know her. Girl that lives in the village. Sculptress, if you must know. Yeah, no kidding. How old is she? Oh, I've never asked her, for God's sake. Well, around how old? I should imagine she's in her late 30s. In her late 30s? Yeah? You like that? You like him that old? The reason I was asking because he really knew quite a bit about sex and all. He was one of the few guys I knew that did. He lost his virginity when he was only 14 in Nantucket. He really did. Are you sure, are you sure, Holden? Are you sure, man? He might have just fucked. He might have just fucked around and like told you a limerick, and you believed it. Uh, I like a mature person, if that's what you mean. Certainly, you do. Why? 
No kidding, they're better for sex and all? Listen, let's get one thing straight. I refuse to answer any typical Caulfield questions tonight. When in the hell are you gonna grow up? I didn't say anything for a while. I let it drop for a while and then old Luch ordered another martini and told the bartender to make it a lot drier. Listen, how long you been going around with her, this sculpture babe? Did you know her when you were at Wooten? Hardly. She just arrived in this country a few months ago. She did? Where's she from? She happens to be from Shanghai. No kidding. She's Chinese, for Christ's sake? Obviously. No kidding. Do you like that? Her being Chinese? Obviously. Why? I'd be interested to know. I really would. I simply happen to find Eastern philosophy more satisfactory than Western, since you ask. You do? What do you mean philosophy? You mean sex and all? You mean it's better in China? That's what you mean? Not, that's, by the way, what the fuck? That's not what philosophy means even a little bit. And then Luch doesn't even bother to correct him, it looks like. Not necessarily in China, for God's sake. The East, I said. Must we go on with this inane conversation? Listen, I'm serious. No kidding, why is it better in the East? It's too involved to go into, for God's sake. They simply happen to regard sex as both a physical and spiritual experience. If you think I'm, so do I, so do I. I regard it as a, as a, what do you call it? A physical and spiritual experience and all. I really do, but it depends on who the hell I'm doing it with. If I'm doing it with somebody, I don't even, not so loud, for God's sake, Caulfield. If you can't manage to keep your voice down, let's drop the whole, all right, all right, all right. But listen, I was getting excited and I was talking a little too loud. Sometimes I talk a little too loud when I get excited. This is what I mean though. I know it's supposed to be physical and spiritual and artistic and all, but what I mean is, you can't do it with everybody, every girl you neck with and all, and, and make it come out that way, can you? Let's drop it, do you mind? Alright, but listen, take you and this Chinese babe, what's so good about you two? Drop it, I said. I was getting a little too personal, I realized that, but that was one of the most annoying things about Luch. When we were at Wooten, He'd make you describe the most personal stuff that happened to you. But if you started asking him questions about himself, he got sore. These intellectual guys don't like to have an intellectual conversation with you unless they're running the whole thing. They always want you to shut up when they shut up and go back to your room when they go back to their room. When I was at Wooten, old Luch used to hate it. You really could tell he did. When after he was finished giving his sex talk to a bunch of us in his room, we stuck a- oh sorry. When I was at Wooten school, old Luch really used to hate it and you could tell he did when after he finished giving his sex talk, we stuck around and chewed the fat by ourselves for a while. I mean the other guys and myself in somebody else's room. Old Luch hated that. He always wanted everybody to go back to their own room and shut up when he was finished being the big shot. The thing he was afraid of was he was afraid somebody would say something smarter than he had. He really amused me. Maybe I'll go to China. My sex life is lousy. Naturally, your mind is immature. It is. It really is. I know it. You know what the trouble with me is? I can never really get sexy. I mean really sexy with a girl I don't like a lot. I mean, I have to like her a lot. If I don't, I sort of lose my goddamn desire for her and all. Boy, it really screws up my sex life something awful. My sex life stinks. Naturally, it does, for God's sake. I told you the last time I saw you what you need. You mean go to a psychoanalysis and all? That's what he told me I ought to do. His father was a psychoanalyst and all. It's up to you for God's sake. It's none of my goddamn business what you do with your life. I didn't say anything for a while. I was thinking. Supposing I went to your father and had him psychoanalyze me and all. What would he do to me? I mean, what would he do to me? He wouldn't do a goddamn thing to you. He'd simply talk to you and you'd talk to him for God's sake. For one thing, he'd help you recognize the patterns of your mind. The what? The patterns of your mind. Your mind run- Listen, I'm not going to give you an elementary school course in psychoanalysis. If you're interested, call him up and make an appointment. If you're not, don't. I couldn't care less, frankly. I put my hand on his shoulder. Boy, he amused me. You're a real friendly bastard, you know that? He was looking at his wristwatch. I have to tear. Nice seeing you. He got the bartender and told him to bring his check. Bring him his check. Hey, did your father ever psychoanalyze you? Me? Why do you ask? No reason. Did he though? Has he? 
Not exactly. He's helped to adjust myself to a certain extent, but an extensive analysis hasn't been necessary. Why do you ask? No reason. I was just wondering. Well, well, take it easy. He was leaving his tip and all, and he was starting to go. Have just one more drink, please. I'm lonesome as hell, no kidding. He said he couldn't do it, though. He said he was late now, and then he left. Oh, Looch. Strictly a pain in my ass, but he had a good vocabulary. He had the largest vocabulary of any boy at Wooten when I was there. They gave us a test. Boy, oh boy, what a fucking... What an intimate peek inside of Holden's, uh... Holden's fucking... Drastically severe mental illness, huh? This, uh, this whole episode was just full of... I don't know, man. Jaw-dropping passages, right? Like, holy shit. What, um... I'm sorry there wasn't more commentary. Usually I would have to pause a lot and think about it and edit around all that. So there wasn't a ton of commentary from me this episode. I'm um, trying to get this episode out really quick, so I'm likely not going to edit anything out unless the coughs and sneezes were just way too fucking loud. But, um... What a great book. Um, so far, I'm, I'm really, like... I'm, I'm really invested in hoping that Holden... Holden gets some sort of redemption towards the end of this. Um, we're about 30, 30 or 40 pages from the end. Um, so we're really getting close to the end of the book here. Um, I think it's looking like the votes are drifting towards 1984. And I thought it would be fun to maybe add on Animal Farm. So I think, I think season three is going to be um, those two books kind of combined into each other. Um, probably start with Animal Farm, maybe. I'm not sure yet, but I think it'll be a nice, a nice change of, of scenery too. You know, we're going from, you know, kind of the whole consumerist material, um, criticisms of, you know, 1950s Manhattan and America. And we're going to take a real sharp left turn into like war and criticisms of the, of the government and, um, and things like that. So. I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be a nice little juxtaposition and uh, a nice shift of shift of focus, if you will. So, um, thanks again for tuning in, man. Catch yourself. Check. Catch yourself. What the fuck's wrong with me? Catch you. Catch you in the rye. Catch her in the fuck. Anyway, um, I really appreciate y'all for tuning in, man. Uh, catch her in the rye. Season two, season three, looking like 1984 in animal form. So, hope y'all are excited for that. We're gonna start putting some advertising dollars behind season three. Um, now that we got everything nailed down and, you know, essentially perfected as much as I like it. So, um, yeah, glad you guys tuned in. Can't wait to shake all your hands and kiss you on the mouth when I see you. Um, I love you. Make sure you check your shelf, baby. Peace.